This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you like to get off your chest right now? Are you feeling lonely, unappreciated, or misunderstood? When you keep these feelings bottled up, they can affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever is weighing you down. It's a great way to increase your self-awareness, change negative thought patterns, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now. Welcome to Lama Surya Das's Awakening Now podcast. We are very pleased to share with you Lama's unique illumination of the awakened awareness teachings. If you are interested in supporting Lama Surya Das's podcast, please go to beherenownetwork.com/suryadas. Welcome, everyone. This is Lama Surya Das, the American Lama, the Jolly Lama, and welcome, <laughs> welcome to my Awakening Now podcast series on the Be Here Now network of Ram Das, founded by Ram Das, and it's lovely to be with you. Here in Massachusetts, it's snowing two days before the baseball season starts, so I'm ready for global warming, although we would like to rebalance the environment, wouldn't we? So today I have as my guest my old Dharma buddy. He was a monk in Burma. He's a mindfulness teacher, etc., and therapist. He lives in Portlandia, Oregon, that unusual place. <laughs> He's a great guy. We've known each other for at least 20 years. And his current book, he has about a dozen books out. His hot, new, interesting book is called Clearing Emotional Clutter. He has books on mindful eating, mindfulness at work, and other things. He's a beautiful guy with smarts and heart, whom I love. So we're going to have a little chat today. And... Um, Join in as you can, or email us sometime, and we will respond to you. You know, ask the Lama. You know, people used to ask the rabbi, ask the priest, <laughs> ask the guru, ask the doctor. They used to ask the Lama, too. Now, you know, what do people ask? Ask Siri, or ask the Google. <laughs> anyway, you can still write to me, oh. ask the Lama. So this is Don Altman. You can't hear me? Can you hear me now? Now I can hear you. Okay. So this is Don Altman, ladies and gentlemen, author of Clearing Emotional Chat Clutter, talking to me from across the country, seeing you, your smiling, handsome face. And uh, hey, Don, look at us. We're all getting older and bolder. Yeah. Every day. I know. 
I, uh, I, I, I never heard you refer to yourself as the Jolly Lama, but I've heard of, uh, I called you the Laughing Lama. Thank you. Well, you've heard yeah. of the Dalai Lama, right? So I'm kind yeah. of, you know, like, you know, wherever there's a bright light, there's a shadow. I'm like the shadow, the Jolly Lama. <laughs> it should be a flavor on Ben and Jerry's, don't you think? The Jolly Lama flavor, kind of maroon oxide berry oh, yeah. and, and gold or orange, you know. Oh. Citrus. Anyway, how do we, I wonder, clear out our emotional clutter? You know, if we want to, of course, nobody's mm. telling us we have to, but sounds good to me. In fact, how do we clear out our closets, our garages, <laughs> and our overpacked schedule and busy lives oh, in the gosh. information Isn't that age? the truth? Isn't how do we it? clean That's out it. our inboxes in the various portals yeah, that messages yeah. come? But especially... How do we clear out the emotional clutter? Because, you know, of course, as an old meditator, you know, and we all know, when we become clearer, everything becomes clearer. Well, one thing is I, I've always felt that we need to notice the clutter and see how it's impacting us. And unlike the physical clutter that you can actually see, uh, emotional clutter is often invisible. And uh, so... Um, and, and that's the beauty of meditation, is it allows us to start to see that clutter. Um, mm. I'm also very interested in the work that I've done as a uh, psychotherapist and uh, starting to understand brain science. And uh, the meditators have known that uh, being able to understand, watch your thoughts actually regulates and helps us not grab on or identify with those thoughts. And so now we're actually learning in terms of brain science how that's happening. So it's it's an affirmation, actually. Yes, I've been following it too the last 10 years. So I've coined yeah. it the new neurodharma, the interface oh, yeah, yeah. of neuroscience like and the contemplative sciences or meditation, yoga, mm -hmm. mindfulness, yeah. compassion and loving kindness, meditations, etc. And there is a lot of great research on that. But of course, the sages and meditation masters throughout the ages have known this and through experience so confirming it, which is good because religion is like our science. Uh, science is, excuse me, science is like our religion today. So if science oh, confirms the benefits, physical, mental, spiritual, emotional benefits, then people can believe in it better or get more out of it. Even yoga. There's a lot of uh, research coming out also about oh, yoga yeah. and its benefits and energy and you know, not exactly chakras and channels, but yes, like acupuncture, meridians and other things, it's all related. So I'm a big believer. But anyway, we keep meditating every day and yeah. try to live the more conscious or mindful life with loving awareness. And um, But emotional work is kind of hard. And some people hide out in meditation, like you were talking about meditation and mindfulness helps us that, that's true. see the that's thoughts true. and all. Uh, and I, but yeah, you know, and, not, and get I've rid seen of, that not get rid of them especially, like process the thinking and process the emotions better? Yeah, I think that, you know, some people will use meditation to escape or detach from emotion. And, you know, the, the brain is profoundly emotional. I mean, human beings, just read the news, we're profoundly emotional beings, aren't what? we? What? <laughs> Not me. I haven't felt anything since my, my bar mitzvah. I'm a man. man. And then, I'm a doer, and, not a feeler. 
<laughs> and so you're going to have me laughing the whole time, I That's think, great. right? So, <laughs> and if we can, uh, you're the Johnny we can Donald. appreciate. You know, with a name like Donald, you got to laugh these days. Oh, yeah, I yeah. Know. It ain't funny. That's... <laughs> well, they used to make fun of me when I was a kid, call me Donald Duck, and they'd quack yeah, a lot. It comes to mind. Doesn't Donald that Duck have better. like orange hair even? Really yeah, I think so. That, that, yeah. It's coming back around to, to get me in my old age now. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's wonderful to think that we can have emotions, we can be with the emotions, we can sit with the emotions, and emotions tell us a lot. I think that. Uh, you know, we need we need our emotions. I don't think the um, how can we experience joy, being sad? I mean, it's all grief. It's all yeah. part of being human. The and so, yeah, it's the richness of it. And yet, it's when we dwell on it or when we attach to it, and it becomes part of our identity that it becomes unhealthy, and doesn't it doesn't serve, doesn't help us function effectively. And uh, so we need, you know, it's just the whole whole of life that's messy isn't it yeah. it's like making a nice meal you have a lot of messy pots afterwards but you you know right. so it uh we want to bring it all in actually well it's like zorba the greek's great song and saying you know the entire oh i have a whole family and in-laws and house and animals and you know the whole yeah. the entire great catastrophe isn't it great zorba <laughs> yeah. life yeah. So I like absorb the Buddha, you know, not depressing. Yeah. Joy. <laughs> Joy yeah. and ease and, and great gratitude, of course. It's such a miracle just to be together and to be alive and to have this time to even talk and think about these things well, and not be enslaved or dead or sick, too sick. It's a very uh, precious, uh, the, I call it the living club. And uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> to be in the living club is uh, yeah, it's a privilege. It's like winning the lottery in a way, yeah. isn't it? Yes. And so we can uh, really appreciate that we're in this club and uh, yeah. and try to help others who are in the club. Yes, and especially as we get older and we're losing people more and more. Death is no respecter of age. One of my Dharma students in California, Richard mm -hmm. Beatty, who was a college football star, was still in great shape. He died of brain cancer two weeks ago, mm -hmm. age 45 uh -huh. or so. It was a big shock and fairly yeah. sudden Suffer, within a yeah. few months of diagnosis. So, yes, Don, the living club, and it's beautiful. Of course, in the um, scriptures, which you're well familiar with, there's a lot of talk about reincarnation and rebirth. So there's a lot to think about in the bigger picture, not just our population or our children and grandchildren and our pets, but all the sentient beings in the whole environment, all children of God, all endowed with the luminous Buddha nature, all beautiful, mm. right to life, and avoid pain, and enjoy and protect their children and offspring. So it's a beautiful thing. Of course, in Tibetan Buddhism, it's very much stressed to cherish life and precious human life without illness or slavery or those things. So it's beautiful to be here, like the friendships we share. Yeah, I was just out at the Insight Meditation Center in Barry, Massachusetts, driving some of my friends out there from Switzerland, and um, Fred Van Orman, the main mindfulness teacher in Switzerland, who I've known since mm. 1972 in India when we really? were 10-day yeah. meditation intensives together and shared 
huts and things and traveled a little and I've toured his center in Vietnamburg, Switzerland. He's toured here. We know St. Lama's. And, you know, to have friends, Sangha friends over 30 or 40 or 45 years, satsang, true brotherhood and sisterhood, it's just so remarkable. We can't do it alone, especially in these divisive days to be part of a loving, beloved community, satsang, sangha, community. Beautiful. It is. And every time I, uh, when I practice the loving kindness meditation, for example, I feel like I've tapped in to uh, a network that is almost beaconing out, beaming out uh, the supportive, uh, mm -hmm. yes. uh, almost like a shield, protective shield over the planet. Mm-hmm. And it I, is uh, the invisible uh, shield. It's the invisible yeah. array. It's always with us, whether in, you believe it like that or just, you know, the forebears, the grandparents, the lineage masters, mm. those who came before who did a lot so we could be here now. Beautiful. You know, I don't know if it's a matter of, uh, of, of age, uh, but I, I think more about that now about my aunt. And so and they did pave the way. For me yeah. to be here and yeah uh I, I feel more of a connection with them it's... me too maybe maybe it's age um also with the great controversy and news you know issues today about immigration migration mm. of people refugees borders and so forth yeah I think about my grandparents running away from the Cossacks in Russia and the Nazis in oh. Eastern Europe and walking across Europe and mine, mine had getting the same on ships experience. to America and yeah. how they did for us and now other waves of refugees going through similar things and how I really feel for them. Just like I know a lot of Tibetan uh, refugees, obviously, since I'm in Tibetan Buddhism lineage, but there's just so many all over the world, the are they, Middle East, are, et cetera, yeah. Mexico. It's really a plight. So I'm more grateful than ever to those who came before, my spiritual ancestors and also my uh, family ancestors, let's say my Jewish ancestors, but really all those because we're all so connected. The people who came to this country three or 400 years ago across the unknown ocean and with these kind of winters, but without the things we have now, central oh, heating yeah. and cars and snow plows. I don't know how yeah. they and their children survived. It's marvelous, very, very resourceful, amazing. very brave, courageous. So, you you know, know, that's an interesting idea right there, the idea of bravery and, and, and courage and how, uh, you know, I think the idea of even being a warrior and, uh, you know, a spiritual mm -hmm. warrior mm -hmm. has a lot of value because we're uh, confronted with a lot of things that are maybe uh, like a cross current that are uh, making that even more difficult today. And so to stand up and uh, because, you know, as you mentioned, I really do believe that the science is the new religion. Mm -hmm. and, but people can attach to that. And that can be very sure. soulless in a way. I mean, technology yes. is great. We wouldn't be having this wonderful talk if it right. weren't for technology. And yet, um, uh, you know, the the kind of the dark side of it is how it might in some cases can cause people to just fixate on on it to an extreme degree yes well 
I'm concerned about the young ones who seem to live on the screen so many hours a day and what happens to human contact, mm -hmm. but they have their own story and their own way of discussing that, it. When true. I was young, people were glued to the TV and the parents were worried about that and that there would be no more reading or music or things like that. So I think it's generational. You know, the technology is useful. It's a tool and we have to learn how to use Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's a good tool, but a poor master. So we don't want to fall under its power. Uh, yes, and our, our friends would be, wouldn't be listening if we didn't have the electronic communication. I know. All of this yeah. today. And you on one side of the country and me on the other and our friends all over, even off the continent, listening on the web and so on now yeah. or later. It's a beautiful thing. But bravery and courage. That's yes. true. What are the cross currents today that you're thinking of that are making it harder and thus we have to stand up to? You mean like fear? And yeah, absolutely. And fear and, yeah, fear, maybe uh, uh, the idea that we need to control everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, Nick, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of glad we can't control the weather. <laughs> yes. So there are still things where we recognize yeah. that uh, there are natural us. processes, be, something beyond us, something yeah. greater. Uh -huh. <laughs> well, one thing that yeah. I'm concerned about in this very technological era, you know, the over-information age, as I lovingly call it, mm. it's there's a certain kind of a new kind of materialism, and I'm not going to mention spiritual materialism. That's a different subject we could talk about, but. With the science, you know, if science proves it, if it's sort of visible or weighable, or you can see it with an electronic, electron microscope or fMRI, if you can't see it with your eyes, but sort of it's measurable, then we believe it, people believe it. But if it's not measurable, then what? So right. It could become right. more materialistic and just like only the engineering approach to life will work. If it, if it suits the yeah. left way, brain's way of seeing things linearly and visibly, we can weigh it, it'll work. And what about the other side of the brain? What about the poetic, intuitive, gestalt, see it all at once right. side? I'm concerned about that. Of course, that, that will live forever, yeah. but still, it's a concern. Yeah. You know, Houston Smith talked about science only being able to measure what it shined its light on, mm -hmm. which is a very minuscule part mm -hmm. of all experience. Mm -hmm. And you know, I find it in healthcare, and I, I do a lot of workshops for um psychologists, people in the mental health field, and and uh, there's a move toward so-called, you know, evidence-based therapies. And so sitting compassionately with somebody is not, you know, evidence-based like that. The healing nature of being able to bring a mindful presence with your client, and I've, and I've actually witnessed that, that as I'm able to get very present, how that can help someone to actually experience it. And so, uh, you know, this is not, maybe they'll find a way to evidence-base that. <laughs> maybe <laughs> you have to be part of so, that. You have to be part of that study, Don. <laughs> I would be happy to, but it, it seems to be a lot about um, just, you know, what uh, what is uh, uh, effective, and it tends mm -hmm. to be all a lot of uh, um, cognitive kinds of work, but getting into the body, something that a lot in mm -hmm. our culture we're a mental-based culture, and uh, and what I love about uh, spiritual work and mindfulness is it can get us into the heart, get yes. us into the body, right. and we, we need to very much uh, do that. Yes, 
Uh, not just enlightenment from the eyebrows up, and we are pretty mental, and this information age is <laughs> right. conducive to that. I, I'm all for higher education and a true higher education, not just vocational training, and that's one of the downsides I see of the technological age. Again, the measurements and people in college yeah. only to be able to get a job and the humanities and creative things getting uh, shunted aside is impractical. But spiritually speaking, I think I'm not sure it's worse now than it's ever been. We used to have, you know, m most global illiteracy and sh half lifespans of what we have now. Mm. So maybe things are better in some scores. It's cyclical, I think, in the bigger oh, picture. Yeah. The pendulum swing, just like with the polit local politics here in America, the pendulum swing every few years or, or decade between the every, different parties. Yeah, every. Everything's really on a continuum, isn't it? Yeah, and changing, ever, of course. Nothing's fixed. Yeah, it's right. in flux. So I'm very interested in how you see things like from Oregon. Of course, I'm in Massachusetts, so we're both part of the blue bubble. And I'm just, yeah. uh, from knowing you, I know and imagine, you know, and, and many of our listeners also are concerned about the environment and maybe live on the coast or you know in that sort of blue bubble and was surprised by half the country thinking very different on these things if that's not too gross a generalization so and people feel very stressed today and not knowing what to do that's why i was asking about how do you clear out the emotional clutter and get to your true you know principles and clear action and skillful action and authenticity and not just reactivity and be a proactive force for positive change and resist that pendulum swing that went so far to the right and um, try to get to the bottom of things and be informed citizen mm. and not get fooled, you know, by all kinds of spin and talk about alternative facts. And yeah, you know, it's, like it's, it's, it's really, uh, it's, 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 it's you know, more and more news. difficult, isn't it? When I, yeah, and, and I mean, being able to, how do you ferret out the bias, right? And um, I, don't, I don't. And again, I think it's just a human need to want to feel safe. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's all driven. I don't care what side you're. If you're blue, you're red. You're purple. Whatever it is, mm -hmm. <laughs> you are. You want to feel safe. And so um, I, uh, I see that it doesn't matter either side. Both sides have a need that's not being met. And how can they begin to really talk? I think that what we need is more dialogue and mm -hmm. uh, for people to not shut off themselves but have uh, be able to really connect and start to understand one another and you know David Bohm who was a uh, physicist who worked with Krishnamurti and, and working with dialogue and trying to get people to uh, find truth together to mutually mm -hmm. seek for that I mean that's not an easy thing to do and he talked about how David Bohm used to talk about how difficult it was and how long a process it was to get people to communicate at that deeper level, that they needed to really look at what their attachments were. I mean, this is really the core of Buddhism, too, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Is what are, you know, if I'm so attached to something, and he called it your absolute necessity. How, what was your real absolute necessity? Mm. That you, something that you just refused to let go of. And it could be something that you really don't want to look at, right? But unless we... You mean like chocolate? 
Yeah, exactly. Or like, or like selfishness and egotism, like me first, America first, us first, yeah. our religion first, right. me first. Right, yeah. My way um, of thinking first. My family first, right? yeah. whatever it is. Right. My, you know, I, me and mine, as Buddha said, is a big part oh, of yeah. the problem. I mean, my and mine. And uh, a lot of people do not want to look there. I've, I had, I've, had, I've done classes where I would have people do an exercise mm -hmm. and talk about their absolute necessity. And many people just, um, they don't want to look at, at that because they're not prepared to even consider uh, letting go of that. But again, how can you uh, really have a dialogue uh, if you're stuck in that particular viewpoint? And so I think that's a starting place. And from there to understand that everybody, uh, wherever they're at, uh, can go to a place of fear. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, what I love about the, uh, the loving kindness meditation is it can help. Um, uh, and I would like to see everybody start doing more of that. Uh, you know, when I uh, was in the monastery with uh, Uthilananda. I don't know if you ever met him. No. In Thailand? Yeah. Uh, he was a Burmese Burma. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, but, but he, <laughs> you know, uh, when I met him the first time, he just had this wonderful sense of availability and compassion. And I found out later that what he loved to do was teach the loving kindness meditation. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, and so, uh, if we could have people expand from that place for, and I think what that meditation does, it takes you out of the I, me, my, and mine. Mm -hmm. It allows you to understand the suffering of others. But one of the other things I think that can really help uh, in terms of whatever camp somebody is in, because I don't think Buddhism is it's not a particular, it doesn't necessarily identify with a religion. I don't think we need to make it <laughs> uh, uh, a religion. A you know, I mean, make it, make it a faith that is hooked to a particular political yeah. ideology. It's not. But would be... Um, to also really uh, start to understand again what are the roots of suffering and when you can really look at and see that even that difficult person in your life and everybody uh, has at least one as far as I can tell <laughs> uh, you know how can we start to view that other person uh, through the lens of their suffering that could really shift Mm -hmm. uh, give us a new perspective on that person. And I know it's difficult. Um, we can go into an automatic, uh, you know, conditioned response to somebody who, you know, maybe in our family knows how to push our buttons, those excellent, those, those uh, expert yeah. pu button pushers. Right. Who may be our best teachers in terms of getting to Could see be. our own attachments, the buttons, yeah. the re overreactivity and make some different choices or recondition. Absolutely. You know, my father kept pushing my to... buttons. He passed away, uh, <laughs> gosh, about three, about four years ago. Mm, that's but he was recent. You know, I, I think that he was one of my best teachers because mm. <laughs> he kept pushing those buttons. <laughs> and even as I got older and I was aware of the buttons yeah. and I'd go visit him in Florida. And uh, but I knew I was going to get the button pushed. <laughs> and so <laughs> I got to keep working on it. So I'm grateful that he lived as long as he did. Lucky you, very good. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is a big issue you're raising. Yeah, beautiful. The absolute necessity in our personal subjective distorted mm. view based on our attachments or the things we can't give up. Or So how, how, I feel like it's important not just to understand 
the others are suffering, but to feel it, like to empathize with them, try to see it through their eyes. Like if I grew up in those countries and my mm. parents and priests and peers were doing those things and telling me those things, then I would be doing what they're doing, even if now I can't have a totally different view where like they're like our enemies or I'm their enemies or, right. you know, like people and kids in Germany joined the young Nazis when they were five or ten because everybody else did, just like we joined the Boy Scouts right? in America, <laughs> the suburbs in America because everybody else did. We didn't know what it was really attached to. A little uniforms, <laughs> a little, right, discipline, a little, some tents and all. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I, I start That's to feel true. like if I can feel what the others feeling and where they come from and realize there but for the God go I, not pityingly, but like I would real. They are us. They are me, and I'm them. Mm -hmm. Like the young Nazis, the Boy Scouts, not yeah. entirely that different. If you grow up in that, and you're five or ten years old, yeah. your siblings go. Well, that's true. And you go too. So I know this is a caricature, but I think it's also relative because this is a big, big issue about the us and them, and not feeling why others can oh, be yeah. so different and see things so differently, and not recognizing our own subjectivity. In fact, I think it might be a Buddhist principle. Mm. This is my interpretation or translation that everything is subjective, you know, like a dream. Subjective might be the word. And how we get more objective or clear or see things as they are, not as we would like them to mm. be or we're conditioned to see them, is a real journey. It's a real inquiry. It's a real practice trying to see through our pink or smoky colored lenses or whatever. Oh, yeah. So... I, I think that's where what, what, contemplation comes in, and then that can inform wise mm. action and skillful means and, you know, spiritual activism and altruism and be a peaceful yeah. warrior, a bodhisattva, an awakener, an edifier, a sacred activist, whatever you want to call it, not yeah, just an I, enraged Buddhist. You could be an engaged Buddha, not just an enraged Buddhist. Absolutely. I'm, I'm on the same uh, wavelength is you with that that how can we bring uh, change through through peace through peaceful skillful means mm -hmm. and not leading with our hurt not leading with our pain which is what our ego attachment is about and 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 that takes wisdom mm -hmm. and discernment and and practice reflection as you say you know um, we're it, the idea of reflecting nowadays in our culture is a is a challenge for a lot of people, but I think we're really I think people are hungry for it. I think people yes. are, uh, and I think that's why uh, even your your podcast is so important. Is it allows people to reflect and think about some deeper issues in their life. So we, you know it's easy to get uh, stuck on the um, the superficial channel, if yes. you will. And there's plenty of it barraging us in this cacophonous and noisy, tumultuous times. Well, thank you. That's very nice to hear, Don. Speaking of which, Sharon Salzberg is also one of our podcasters on the Be Here Now Network. Check it out, Sharon Salzberg. Oh, great. The mindfulness and loving kindness pioneer in the West since the 1970s. And she has a new book coming out called True Love. So I'm mm. looking forward to She's written many books about loving kindness and heart as wide as the world. So yeah. I great. recommend that to you and to everyone. And uh, I will read it too to learn more about true love and cling-free relationships and not leading with your hurt, as you just said. 
and clearing the emotional clutter, yeah. as you've written about. I'm thinking that one thing we need today is really, and I've said this before, and I wrote a book about it, Make Me One With Everything, is moving from the me to we, the I to we, and us together, and yeah. taking action, especially in these divided times, linking hands and hearts. And uh, I'm involved to a certain extent in interfaith dialogue and conferences and panels with other religious leaders. And the problem, a problem is, and this may relate to the political divisiveness too, how we can have dialogue, is we're preaching to the converted. It's all the moderates of the different camps that have mm. dialogue. The extremists, the people that want to go back to Sharia rule, if that's how you say it, they don't believe in democracy or dialogue or equality or having mm. women sitting on the panel also. And not just to right. pick on them, there are other groups that also have such, what should I say, customs or prejudices or limitations. So how do, how do we dialogue with people who don't want to talk and dialogue to us? If the aisle is, you know, just across the aisle, a lot of yeah. senators and Congress people are friends and do, yeah. you know, argue from opposite points of view in the uh, Congress. Then at night they have dinner together or go to each other's kids' weddings and, and family affairs. And, uh, how, you know, how can we do that if the trench is well, seems know, like a grand that's... canyon between yeah. us and the less moderate in the different well, groups, maybe, religious yeah, or political, or other countries? Is to get people to just know each other personally. Yes, is that to always helps. Have, yeah, have a meal. Have, uh, share uh, information about your family. And to see this person is really that we're there's more similarity than dissimilarity there, and maybe that can help break down some of those barriers that we have the us them dichotomy. Yes, I would hope so. So how do we do that, like um, with Tibetans and Chinese communists, or with uh, Jews and mm. Arabs in the Middle East who live so close together and do know each other and and each other's customs, or just to think more locally, like. I'm a Buddhist teacher. I'm Jewish on my parents' side. I have yoga and Hindu gurus and background, but I have no real contact with Muslim yeah. Islamic what leaders, except at an occasional conference every few years. And we yeah. don't know each other, and they don't invite us to their mosque. I mean, we all speak as you would know, and you do at universities, synagogues, churches of all kinds, etc. Probably not at mosques, I would guess. I mean, I've, I've been inside lead meditation, Sing Sing, Maxim Security Prison in up, mm. upstate New York, invited by the Quakers, you know, but no mosques, not one single mosque. What about you, Don? Mm. How do we cross this, this chasm, not just the aisle? It really is a chasm, yeah. And wouldn't it be nice if we could have people, um, I mean, this may sound kind of crazy. It just <laughs> occurred to me while, we, while I heard you. Don't scare uh, me. <laughs> and it's the idea of if, what could, would happen if you could have people uh, farm or have a plot of land where they cultivated, uh, grew vegetables together, for example. It's community, Definitely. communal effort. And where uh, it was about growing and nurturing and cultivating, working together mm -hmm. and then sharing the, the results of that food. Yeah. I, I, I actually have, uh, many years ago, I, uh, I had an artist, I commissioned a, a work of art called, um, and I call it the Circle of Mindfulness, and it was all about uh, 
mindfulness in antiquity around how people cooperated, uh, creating food, you know, planting in the garden, uh, harvesting the food, then having, you know, creating bread, wine, celebrating together. And I think, uh, I don't think it's simplistic to say that if we could uh, get people working together uh, in, in some kind of communal way, even a small way, that could have a, uh, a huge impact. Because then there's the idea of a shared uh, a space that they have together and a shared project and something and seeing something grow out of the ground. It's so uh, elemental to us. Uh, I mean, it's 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 about uh, how do we nurture our souls together. That's beautiful. Right. I'd love to do that. You should write that up as a blog or an op-ed or a children's book mm. or something. I mean, we can make that into a project or take it be kind to of... the Middle East or somewhere. But you know, put it out oh. there somewhere like. Anasuya Wild just put out B is for Buddha, a children's book with one page for each letter. Oh, a, yeah. A is yeah. for I don't know, awareness, and C is for compassion, and she has drawing. It's beautiful. This would be a beautiful yeah. project, a children's book, or, of course, a project. I, I would love to see how we could do that somewhere. Like, we'd probably have to do it in BC. This is how it's hard to bridge the gap. We'd probably end up doing it in Portlandia or Boulder or Rutland yeah. or Cambridge, Massachusetts yeah. with like-minded people. How, how do we do it in a border zone in the Middle East? Or well, at least, where the, you know, maybe we... Uh, the warring parties. Yeah. Are. That's well, why I like the we, children's uh, book idea to make it into a meme or a theme that gets out there. Right. Well, maybe it starts in Portlandia or uh, where you are and then we export it. <laughs> it becomes like a... Uh, you know, we have an acorn. We we grow the plant here, and then we take the acorn from that. And we plant it somewhere else. And but I, like that I, I would love to work on that. Maybe Our common can, garden, yeah. the earth, one world. Yeah. Let's sketch that out on paper. I like that idea. Okay. Cool. I love that. Maybe I'll write a blog about it. I'd love to see you write a blog, an op-ed, or a children's book about it. But I'm full of these ideas. I often take a walk with one of my filmmaker friends around here, uh -huh. Rick Byers, and he makes documentary films and, and this and that, and uh, writes books, and often about history, like Alexander Hamilton. He just has a cool book coming out about Hamilton, oh, and he's cool. an expert. But every time I see Rick, I make a point of saying, Rick, your lucky day. I have a new idea for your next film. <laughs> so you know how long it takes to make a film? You gave me one two days ago. <laughs> well, maybe. Why you don't can you do... make one about the woman who discovered Lake Tahoe? She was the Sacagawea <laughs> of Lake Tahoe. Everybody knows about Sacagawea, Lewis and Clark's women's guide. She's on a dollar on some coin now. Nobody knows about this woman that led the explorers, the settlers to Lake Tahoe and crossed over the mountains there. And her father was a chief. And he went. Hey, I've got so another that, that sounds like for... your project, Lava. <laughs> Remember that time we were in the car driving? I know. You and I was say. out. Yeah. And uh, and it reminded me of that, you know, comedians in cars. How about, uh, oh, yeah. you know, Dharma teachers in cars? Yeah, that's a funny one. <laughs> well, that's us now. People are probably listening to this podcast in the car or on their exercise bike or while they're flying in the airplane or walking around. Yeah. <laughs> Dharma teachers in cars. I like it. I'd rather see Dharma teachers in Paris having a good time, but 
I haven't been there in a few years. What about you? Well, I haven't we're, been there in a long time. You're yeah. way too serious. <laughs> I haven't even been in Portlandia lately. It used to be Portland, and it was so green. What is it now? Kind of um, purple it's, or rainbow colored or well, levitating? Yes, still quite green. Digitized. And raining, raining a lot. Raining. <laughs> This is one of the rainiest winters I think we've had on record. They say so. It's, I was just, great. I was Crash. just, yeah. We just had a Dzogchen Center retreat in Southern California, like we do every spring for a week, and people were telling about the unbelievable flooding this year, even though it's been a drought in oh, California yeah. for like ten or twenty years. So, I don't know. Does that there was the flooding extend all the way up to Oregon and Seattle? Well, we we didn't have the the flooding, but we had a lot of rain. I mean, so, we have a lot of rivers here, and it, I guess the it, it uh, the landscape's able to absorb that water for some reason. Well, it is the green Pacific Northwest, and also yeah, the grass is growing there legally now, so that's exciting, and it's coming to Massachusetts, the legal marijuana. So what is coming? The legal marijuana that you oh yeah, it's coming Oregon to Massachusetts. For, yeah. yeah, it's passed the laws, and they're trying to figure out how to do it and how to tax it or whatever. Yeah. It's it's really coming. It's definitely a new era. So I'd like to see a little bit of oh, yeah. the spreading of some of these other universal laws that we believe in or have been thinking about for many decades or generations for a better world and a, not have another century of war mm-hmm. like the last century, but a century of dialogue as the Dalai Lama wow. is talking about and hoping for. And we were just talking about the importance of dialogue is, and how to bridge what? the chasm. Is that what he's called it? Yes, that's what he himself has termed it. That's where I got the idea. He said, the last century was really a century of war, and look how many there were, and mm. and bloodshed. And this needs to be a century of dialogue. Otherwise, it's just going to be worse. Oh, what a wonderful, yeah. That's going to be a great theme. And um, so when are, are you planning on coming back to the great Northwest here? Yes, um, I'm coming to uh, visit and teach in Vancouver, in the autumn, Vancouver, Vancouver, Canada. Oh, okay. I think that's still yeah. in the West. I know it's not in your country. It's still in the West, but it's up there. <laughs> it's from Boston. It looks like it's near Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Pacific Northwest to us, with the New York view. You know, we don't have very clear sight beyond the Hudson River. It's kind of a big, vast plains out there with some mountains. Yeah, what about well, you? Are you pretty... coming to book? You coming this way soon to the East Coast? Uh, well, you're workshopping. Uh, yeah, in about two weeks I'll be in Parsippany. I don't know exactly what that is, but that it's sounds in like New Jersey. York. New Jersey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm just doing a quick uh, two-day workshop there. What's the topic? Uh, One of your books. It's it's uh, well, it's yeah, it's uh, it's really kind of based on my book, The Mindfulness Toolbox. So it's called um, Nice. The uh, uh, advanced mindfulness toolbox for rewiring your brain and uh, you know it's what I found is that the, the when I do the one day workshops now it just it seems like I'm barely scratching the surface and so the mm-hmm. two day it's really nice because I get people people uh, have a different kind of you know I slow the pace down we do a lot of different uh, mindfulness practices mindfulness meditation mindful walking different grounding practices and even talk about um Having people become more aware of, uh, uh, of of lightening up and laughter and how they hold their body, wonderful, and and just a lot of uh, uh, 
Uh, you know, I, I, I get people telling me, and you know, many of them are psychotherapists mm -hmm. and psychologists, but you know, I get people who go there just for themselves mm -hmm. and find it extremely nourishing. I had a woman who, after the mindful walking, came to me and she was in tears, just tears streaming down her face and telling me how it had really altered her experience, slowing down and moving her body in that uh, intentional kind of way. It was just beautiful to hear Wonderful. these kinds of comments. Because, Congratulations. Well, it's, um, and I'm hoping that it can, uh, that, that work just spreads uh, a few seeds. I wouldn't mind being the, the uh, Johnny Appleseed of mindfulness out there. <laughs> well, you are one of them for sure. Yeah. I love the way you bring it forward, Don. So tell me, no. where can I get one of these mindfulness toolboxes? Can I get it on Amazon? Oh yeah, the mindfulness toolbox <laughs> comes with all that. Comes with a little toolkit. Yeah, what's in the toolkit? <laughs> do I have to do anything, or will it do it for me? Oh, it kind of does it for you. Just open it up, and <laughs> it self assembles. <laughs> Is it like a music box, and it plays, and you? Right, right. You're in a state of bliss and meditation. Plays the mindfulness music for you, and <laughs> oh, I like it. <laughs> I like it. Well, mindfulness is certainly yep. having its time, and it's a great thing. And we can all use some, be more mindful and less mindless, and have less accidents through inattention, whether it's oh, the driving yeah. wheel or anywhere else. I, I was, be more conscious. Uh, I was teaching a mindfulness, uh, it's a meditation group I used to lead. Uh, and uh, I was talking about. Uh, Mindfulness, being aware of your body is in space. I call it one of our one of our like our seventh sense, a mindfulness sense, oh, the ability to know where your body is in space any moment, proprioception. Mm -hmm. And uh, so a woman came back the next week and she had a big bandage on her finger. And um, maybe I shouldn't have asked, but I did. I said, "What happened to your yeah. thumb?" Uh -huh. And she said, "I was making a mindful salad, uh, and I was thinking of something else while I was chopping the veggies." Right. Yeah. <laughs> and well, in New York, people say there are more happen. there are more people coming into the emergency wards in hospitals on Sundays from bagel knife cuts than any other wound <laughs> in New York on really? Sunday. That, that's the that's the urban legend, <laughs> especially Sunday where bagel knife cuts. Yeah. So that's as you fun. said, she she was making mindful salads. She started thinking of something else, and she cut her thumb. There yeah. it is. It's not an accident. People, it's from yeah. attention, so we could all do better and be more present. I mean, you know how people, especially men here, you don't listen. We can be better listeners when we're more present. It could transform all of our relations to our intimates, partners, to our kids, to our boss, listening to nature, listening to our inner heart or our inner world, our inner voice or higher voice, whatever, however you see yeah. it. Oh, if we could just all listen a little better, things would uh, vastly change. And uh, I always say another thing is, what if we paused, took a nice breath, even before we hit the send button on the com on the computer for the email? Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that would be great. Um, I think Thich Nhat Hanh yeah. teaches that, doesn't he? Whenever they so, ring a bell at his center, the mindfulness gong, everybody stops just for a mo like a minute, what they're doing, even if they're walking or busy. And, yeah. Uh, and he also says... The great Thich Nhat Hanh, peace activist and Zen master of Vietnam, he says, "Oh, it just it just went under the head. Oh, oh yeah, that 
why don't you just take a breath and let the phone ring one more time before you pick it up? <laughs> That's like how you create more mindfulness time. Yeah. Just let it ring one more time before you pick it up and have that few seconds of mindful relaxation before you rush to the Absolutely. next thing. Well, I'm mindful yeah. of the relative time passing, although in the timeless and the eternal now, nothing moves and everything is just in harmony and almost still. But it's four o'clock here. We've been uh, talking for about 45 or 50 minutes, so I need to wrap it up. But Don, it's been great to get together. Oh, Don, same here, sir. Donald Altman, author of Clearing Emotional Clutter, Mindful Eating and other books, and you can find him online. What's your website, buddy? That is mindfulpractices.com, M-I-N-D-F-U-L, practices, plural, .com. And you can find out some of the new workshops that I'm doing. I have a newsletter also that comes out once a month with uh, some new mindfulness contemplations and uh, interesting practices on there. Thank you. And yeah. you can follow me, Lama Suridas, and probably Don too on social media, websites, and other places. And in two weeks, we'll see you again on the Awakening Now podcast here on the Be Here Now Network, started by a spiritual pioneer and my dear buddy, Ramdas. Thank you. Peace, harmony, love to one and all. Be kind to one another. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Blessings. Blessings all. Thank you. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you like to get off your chest right now? Are you feeling lonely, unappreciated, or misunderstood? When you keep these feelings bottled up, they can affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever is weighing you down. It's a great way to increase your self-awareness, change negative thought patterns, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BeHereNow today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash BeHereNow.